All right, here we go. Hey, uh, this is our uh, Talking Energy podcast, uh, Talking Energy show. I'm Matt Hill. I'm with Night Energy Services. Jeremiah Smith, Mido Resources. Uh, Cody Gotzel, uh, almost with a small operator here in town. Not going to announce it live on air yet? Not until it's 100%. Okay. Just <laughs> get a paycheck first. Yeah. <laughs> Your turn, buddy. Yeah. I'm Seth Sleeper with Barrel Energy Solutions. All right, well, that's it. We are on the Talking Energy show uh, now, and uh, we're going to tell you guys all about our guests and well you guys are gonna tell us about yourselves cody how did you get into the oil and gas business like what what got you here um gosh i ever since i was in middle school i probably knew i wanted to be an engineer so i decided pretty early on that i was going to go to an engineering school how did you know that yeah uh my teachers told me i guess um i was on in some advanced classes even in middle school and they're like you really need to pursue um the math and the sciences and uh, go that route. So um, that's kind of what I was set on. It's what I enjoyed. I was always in advanced uh, science and math classes in high school. And um, I knew I wanted to get out of South Dakota. That's where I grew up. So I went to Colorado and toured the Colorado School of Mines. And my tour guide happened to be a petroleum engineer. And they told me all about what they were learning. I think they were a sophomore at the time. Um, I went in undecided did my first year of college and then started talking with different faculty in the petroleum engineering department and um, decided to enroll in the petroleum engineering program and that's kind of how i got into it no family background no nothing just jumped no, in no oil and gas background in your family at all nope nick so cody thank you for telling us a little bit about your past what do you enjoy doing for in your free time what is what is something that's a lot of fun for you to do uh, I like to go fast. <laughs> I like to race cars. Oh, you race cars? Yeah. No way. Yeah, I wonder, I've seen you out there. Are you ever on a? Are you on a team with somebody? Maybe yeah, you dude. could call it a team. But <laughs> <laughs> it's a group of similar like-minded people is, trying to finish a race. Is Jeremiah yeah. just as bossy out there on the track as he is in here sometimes? You know what? I tend to be more bossy out on the track. Oh, but mm-hmm. uh, Jeremiah just kind of goes and gets shit done. Man, I just yell he at does. He's the Sometimes, heck, you did all this. He's the GSD of many things, for sure. GSD? GSD. You're the... Get stuff done. Oh, I have not actually heard that acronym. I didn't either. Oh, well, there you go. Hey, a new acronym for every you. Follow the hashtag GSD. We'll start including that. Boy, no, we should check into what else uses that hashtag. (laughs) (laughs) Just seems like a lot of times I get in trouble. What it could be. (laughs) ESG, GSD, right Mm -hmm. here on the Talking Mm -hmm. Energy Show. Hey, Seth, uh, man, I've known this guy. He... Well, we got to know each other when you were in college because you were always involved in oil and gas industry mm-hmm. advocacy groups in college. So uh, tell us about yourself and how you got into oil and gas. Yeah, so similar to Cody, I grew up kind of focused on wanting to get into engineering. Uh, I grew up racing sprint cars like you guys like oh, go shit. fast. Oh, no, I had no idea. That. Yeah, That's 5 awesome. to 15, I was racing dirt track sprint cars. Why would you ever stop? <laughs> that seems like such a, a good time. That's the one with the inverted wings. That's right. One up, one down. Yeah, so whenever I was on a team where the kids started dropping out of high school to travel, mm. and uh, one of them is actually in NASCAR now. Um, uh, I don't know if you all know him. Christopher Bell. He's from Norman, Oklahoma. But Christopher, um, would you like the Talking Energy Show logo <laughs> on the side of your car for the low low price we can give it to you that would be sweet <laughs> so i uh, decided no i don't really want to do that it, 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 i saw the writing on the wall that this becomes a really expensive hobby or it turns into a career so um, expensive i really i really enjoyed the um the hands-on type learning stuff i i um just graduated out of high school. I was like, you know, I, I know I want to do engineering. I'm not sure I'm ready to go to a big college. So I went to Rose State for a year, figured out, you know, I could do this. And then I transitioned up to OSU and 
um, I transitioned into every engineering discipline, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I really didn't, didn't really know what that was, but, uh, my last semester, my mechanical degree, I, uh, I enrolled into a drilling and completions course and that was just, I enrolled in it because I knew if I enrolled in that, I only had to be on campus one day a week. <laughs> So uh, I got into that and I really quickly figured out that, you know, not only one was this some of the most interesting subject matter that I had experienced in college yet, um, that getting around the industry professionals and those professional societies, it was just like, check both of those boxes, like something I'm interested in, people I like being around. Oh, it's a fun industry. Man, yeah. it's fun. Incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just, I got into SPE at OSU and I told my professor, you know, I'm going hey, to stick around and figure, finish out this minor. And uh, he was like, you know, I, I, I'm bringing on some grad students next fall if you're interested. And I was like, ah, oh, that, that's not for me. I'm not sure I can really afford that. And he's like, I'll pay your tuition and I'll give you a monthly stipend. No way. I was like, I'll see you next semester. So <laughs> enrolled into grad school and uh, it was specifically for uh, petroleum engineering. Um, and I wrote a thesis on PDC uh, ROP modeling for Department of Energy. And uh, just through that, I quickly started looking for opportunity to get into the industry and had an internship with Altera Drilling Technologies here in um, Oklahoma City and then great people yeah yeah and uh Michael's awesome Michael Thomas yes mm -hmm. uh that's a barrel <laughs> he's, he's at, he's at <laughs> barrel now but he had an internship I'm following I am following yeah. along for those Awkward. that are watching uh, sorry I'm a little long-winded yeah. no uh but you know transition into started getting into SP a little bit and I ended up being the SP student for, chapter president for those that are watching outside of our industry we have, we have a lot of advocacy groups and we start them off young in colleges so what's the SPE uh, part of that yeah so the Society of Petroleum Engineers at OSU um, is really just targeted into getting uh, our students into networking opportunities with oil and gas professionals so get you hired yeah, I mean, there's there's not a whole lot of eyes on OSU uh, in terms of having OU and Tulsa in the state of Oklahoma mm -hmm. with really renowned petroleum uh, programs. So uh, it's it's a it's a feat in itself trying to make networking opportunities occur through OSU. So um, you guys were good at it. You always had me up there uh, cooking out, or uh, yeah, I, I always enjoyed the golf tournament and oh, yeah. clay shoots, bringing you guys on. That's a lot of fun. I'm glad you guys you know were able to. Uh, it seems like more of your students are involved. Is that because of you? Well, I did annoy a lot of them. So that, it, well, a lot of them know that if they're interested in getting into the industry, they need to be because they're not, I guess your oil and gas companies aren't really showing up to the career fairs at OSU. Uh, you really got to be pounding the doors down and creating networking opportunities for them. And, um, and it, it really is one of the main avenues for OSU students to get in front of oil and gas industry professionals. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you got to create those opportunities because they're, they're not really there for you in, in, um, in terms you're, of, you're one of the best and you got it early <laughs> on to uh, get out there and network. Cody, you're the same. What was your first job out of, out of uh, college for the oil and gas industry? Uh, straight out of college. I was with Chesapeake energy right and, away. Yeah. I was with them up until February and then been on the hunt ever since and about to, land a new gig here hopefully starting next week in my head i was going to get you on and get you hired so <laughs> right after this if you hire him thank you talking energy show thank mm -hmm. you jeremy yeah, we did that. you're we'll welcome all the credit. Yeah, yeah. you want to buy us mm -hmm. a bottle of woodford and put it on our desk every now and then we'll Tired. take it <laughs> we we encourage all of our podcast guests to bring us a bottle yeah. of whiskey for, oh, yeah. for us to enjoy in this mm -hmm. or if woodford would like to sponsor uh, yeah woodford please we're, we're still looking for that first sponsor of whiskey so i'm well um, really holding out for uh mccallan 
you know blends i do blends that'd be sweet yeah yeah Mm -hmm. slingers all the good ones cody what uh how many wells did you drill at chesapeake do you think oh gosh uh, a couple hundred i don't i don't really know um it's your season now yeah yeah i worked all over the united states haynesville south texas uh, powder river basin in wyoming and in the marcellus for a very short stint i was thinking that was utica it was actually the marcellus yeah went, huh? we sold the utica probably three years before i got over there so are you guys still doing monobore and they were when i was at chesapeake and i'm pretty confident like they were trying to just rotary steerable they would air drill down uh set a set a liner and then you know uh try to drill the horizontal and the i'm sorry the curve in the horizontal in one run yeah um i think they were doing that in the utica a little mm-hmm. bit easier drilling um honestly it's escaping right now on what we were doing for those last six months i was there so um i'm remembering all the other ones the powder river and the eagleford but it was cold it froze into your mind yeah <laughs> but yeah. you get you got to go hit the slopes while you're up there a little bit right yeah that was a big perk about powder river every time i would fly in i'd fly into denver and hit the slopes over the weekend and then mm-hmm. go up to the rig man. it was great man have they figured that out like uh, and i i guess you got to speak a bit vague but i was in, at chesapeake and i actually worked for their oil field services division from 12 to 16 and uh it just seemed like the powder river was that that basin that still need a lot more engineering like it was pretty far from being good yeah. we set a lot of reserve uh uh strings of pipe and we did a lot we left a lot down there <laughs> we left yeah. a lot of jewelry in the hole it was the kicks and all that so yeah it, uh when i was there we definitely didn't have it figured out Chesapeake is kind of cursed with some very hard to drill acreage they're right at the basin boundary on the south side of the field so They've got tons of faulting and fracturing that makes drilling out there a lot harder than it is for their peers up north. So, mm-hmm. when you were at Chesapeake, did you guys talk a lot with um, the next step? You know, from drilling to completion, were you in meetings with them and then reservoir guys and geology? Yeah. So you guys talked a lot about those basins. I mean, we talked. We've talked about it before. You know, what's uh, what's it going to take for Powder River to just take off again? It's a Any good ideas? question. <laughs> no, Infrastructure is a big thing. They don't have yeah. a lot of pipeline. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so they're flaring a lot of gas up there and stuff. They they just they don't have a lot of infrastructure at all. It gets even worse as you go west. Like Utah has none at all. Yeah. But it's a it's a huge issue up there. So their costs are substantially higher for a multitude of reasons. One, it's cold, right? You brought up so they got to have a rig that's insulated and has boilers and stuff like that. That's quite a bit more cost. And heated, then it's, you have to have sometimes heat your water lines mm-hmm. or heat your big. Uh, they call them Poseidon tanks, but thousand barrel, a couple thousand barrel tanks for water. It's all the so, way from the water source to the rig and yeah. using it. It's got to be heated the whole yeah. way. Almost water every, is a pain too. I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Getting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can get it from the municipality or you can, uh, which I think you just pull it out of the river nearby or you can uh, truck it in from somewhere else. I did a project last year. Yeah. And, uh, and Wyoming regulatory is great to work with. I'll tell you that they are, they're very pro oil and gas, which is awesome. But yeah. uh, drilling it, we would, drill a salt water or a, a well on location to get our water just because we weren't close enough to to any type of water source but was, water scarcity and this was by cheyenne so southeast but it was it was a it was a hurdle to overcome and it added a lot more cost once again and you just don't have the vendors yeah right you don't have those relationships because it's it's a newer i don't know if it's newer but the horizontal play there it was so it was like booming when niobrara they first found that out mm-hmm. up there and then that kind of wasn't working out so everybody left and mm-hmm. when we started coming back for the turner and um parkman yeah some parkman we were actually planning on parkman we hadn't done any yet but mm-hmm. when we came back for the turner um there just weren't that vendor base we had to kind of beg and plead and get stuff from rock springs or get stuff from cheyenne just nothing not a lot nearby anyway mm-hmm. 
Now, where is the Turner and the Parkman uh, as compared to the Niobrara? Uh, so Turner is below the Niobrara, like directly below. Mm-hmm. And then the Parkman is a few thousand feet above it. Yeah, so they're actually spending more money to get the Turner below and probably more hazards along mm-hmm. the way. Especially with the depleted Niobrara. Mm-hmm. After you drilled and produced it and you go in and try to drill a Turner um, oh, yeah. that's overpressured now from what your Niobrara was, it makes for a tricky situation. Oh, the pressure differential when you cross into uh, the other Well, yeah, now that you've depleted Niagara. Yeah. So. so you'd have to mud up or something, Set right? another string of casing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's in your curve. So I did a couple of those where they tried to do it without setting a, another another uh, more casing at like 45 degrees. But the problem with that is it was so un- un- unbalanced between the two different rocks. So Yeah. We had a handful of hole collapse issues right there in the Niagara because of that mm-hmm. unbalanced right there. So one of the biggest problems that we had really when you got to chesapeake did they put you through all of the uh different uh i guess uh, disciplines disciplines of engineering Engineering. yeah uh, so not really uh when i got there their training program was a little bit different i started in 2013 and i went directly into drilling engineering and uh, the plan at the time was to do a year to a year and a half on a rig uh, just kind of being a third company man uh, I would do two weeks in the field and then go home for a week and then go to the office for a week and then repeat that for a year to a year and a half. Um, so about halfway through that, they started doing a rotation program where they would then uh, bring new hires on as field engineers and they would do four months in drilling, four months completions, four months in production, bring them into the office and then rotate through completion, production, reservoir and drilling three months apiece. So it, after I had come in, they got a really good diverse training program there almost <laughs> and uh that's what i got that new desk for yeah <laughs> but it's a little cubby to catch up i need yeah, a little pillow over there luckily i was able to talk to talk my boss into at the time to get a little completions experience in the field and um a tiny bit of production experience kind of rode around with a pumper for a couple of weeks but. nice you know being at trace uh that was, that's always a big issue so finding a jack uh, a jack of all engineering disciplines is very difficult because it used to be a thing where you uh, the smaller entities this guy would do drilling he would do their facilities right he would design everything too but uh, now they're more siloed it's really difficult to find a guy that can handle all the different facets uh for these smaller entities that can't afford to have three or four engineers right yeah there's just not that many out there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, going into this small operator, hopefully getting to wear a couple different hats. I'll mm-hmm. be a drilling engineer over there, but um, who knows if I can help out with completions or learn some stuff about production facilities too. So mm-hmm. yeah, facilities is like a, a whole nother animal. Yeah, you never really hear about, or, but it's uh, integral, of course. Of course. Mm-hmm. Hey, Seth. So yeah. what what is your thought on our community colleges in Oklahoma? Oh, I think they're a great stepping stone. Yeah. I did it myself. I know. That's what I'm asking. Man. Did you, <laughs> I did, did you too, get all of your basics you? in there? Uh, kind of. The moment they told me that stuff wasn't going to transfer, I was like, see you later. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, that's the same thing. I did that, and I was really happy I did. And unfortunately, I was kind of oblivious to it till my second year, mm-hmm. where I would have done my first two years at the community college, because actually it was quite difficult. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Good professors, smaller class sizes. I guess I'm just advocating for it here. <laughs> Save some money and help out the community colleges. What great many colleges we have in Oklahoma, including the community colleges? Oh, man. I don't know. Yeah, what? it is crazy. I can't even tell you all of them in Oklahoma City, the community colleges. And every them. one of them should have like something to do. With, like They need a course on oil and gas. Just basics, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody in Oklahoma is somehow involved in oil and gas. Intro to energy. Definitely. Intro to energy. Yeah, yeah You could teach that class. You'd be a great I did teacher. get an energy minor in college. So. There we go. 
Do you have a petroleum engineering degree? What the fuck is an energy miner? So you can't test on this show. The energy miner uh, taught me about uh, like energy economics, um, world energy, um, just politics, I guess. And yeah. then also I took a class on renewable energy, took a class on, I wanted to take a class on nuclear energy, but it kept getting canceled. I guess just not enough interest, but um, which kind of goes along with the current politics and everything i wonder but. if that'll change though because i think people are starting to open their eyes and say okay we we realize solar and wind is not gonna be our saving grace i don't know if they realize that that's the problem were, yeah. were the professors teaching those courses just all about it like were they pushing that agenda like hey by the way when you're in my class you should know that this is the future of energy no not really so my renewable energy professor was actually my physics one and two professor oh, same so person. he knows the so, physics so yeah. he's like this isn't gonna happen yeah I mean, he gave it his <laughs> all and he was being unbiased and he let us go out into the community and talk to uh, different people. Like I went up to Winter Park and talked to them about how they're using renewable energy, um, which they're just buying wind credits and paying more for electricity on purpose. So, wait, explain that. Can uh, you? I, I can just briefly scratch the surface. Um, but so, they were trying to offset their carbon. Yeah. By, so buying the wind credits. Mm, yeah. So they would buy wind credits and pay more for them. Um, I think it was double what the background electricity cost was, and that just lets them kind of have a plaque up in their office saying we bought X amount of kilowatt hours electricity from wind. So were they pretty dirty that, that industry that you went and viewed, did they have a big carbon footprint? I guess is what oh, how could Winter um, park have a big carbon? Footprint? I don't know. Well, I'm they just got the generators and stuff in their lift houses and all that. So, um, but no, they were, they were relatively clean They're locally. So this was just someone's personal yeah. goal to be green <laughs> yeah. and to buy those. They're Colorado yeah, granola. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's Colorado, it's winter park. So you got to appease your customers. Mm -hmm. If you got a bunch of, um, liberals coming up to your ski resort, they're going to feel better about going to one that uses wind power. So mm -hmm. it was probably just all PR. I would you, love to see a ski lift run by wind power. Oh, I know. <laughs> just hang out up there. Oh, darn it. It'd be a catch 22, right? Cause if it's too windy, you can't use the lift. And then if it's not windy enough, you can't use the lift. Fantastic. <laughs> that idea. is not, that is just pretty much wind on its own, yeah. you know? So put little sails on all the chairs and i don't mean to knock every time on this show every time it's always me trying to knock uh, wind and solar somehow i'm sorry jeremiah no like <laughs> i care I, i'm a i'm a equal opportunist uh show you the money yes why am i doing this can't is it better or will it be better you know those are kind of investments i look at but uh i certainly want to leave the earth better than i got it so if there was a better alternative to petroleum i would be all about it but there isn't so right. did I'm you all about petroleum. at your i mean because you're you know the next generation was was the idea in school that oil and gas was going to be a forever thing or were there was there blowback already in your you know in your class saying hey we don't know if this will even be around or like we don't like it no no um so the primarily osu right now has a lot of yeah <laughs> today it's time to fill it <laughs> Hey, so, hey, Matt, why don't you stop bogarting that ice over there? Okay. A lot of the work that I we were doing at in my uh, graduate studies was geothermal drilling. Okay. So they really did have a focus on renewable energy, but it was primarily for geothermal <laughs> drilling. It's, it's just uneconomical, so they wanted an ROP model that drilled hard rock, uh, and they wanted a one-foot-ahead drilling model. This is probably too much. Sorry, Department no, of Energy. No, but, uh, <laughs> so we, my small portion of it was just the rock cutter contact and what that looked like and how to model that kind of infrequency whenever you go to measure something like that because you know digging 
on a really with a single cutter on a really ductile formation it's, it's just models really smoothly because it's all constant contact but you get into something like a, a really hard marble and you go to do a vtl test vertical turn lathe and it, you just start i don't know that explaining the acronym did any good by no, the way. It didn't. I was like, <laughs> well, you know what a lathe is right yes it's i do actually yeah, yeah vertical and it's a turn mm-hmm. so vertical turn lathe <laughs> yeah so that was something mm-hmm. that surprised me i never i started mentally thinking about the difference in a rock crushing bit uh, mm-hmm. the tricone or button bit compared to a pdc yeah which uh pdc is actually scraping yeah shearing yeah it's like shearing. a shovel yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah would it be a shovel um uh, maybe not no uh <laughs> <I retract this. laughs> <Sadly, no. laughs> maybe if you drag a shovel like that so drilling hey, except next time say oh, actually no no that was actually something interesting is uh, uh getting into that kind of stuff with writing a thesis i had to go through a whole literature review of you know just um drill bit history right and there's some really interesting stuff to to be learned there and then i don't know the the pdc thing just seems like it should have been probably the most intuitive from the get-go but we have mechanical parts in a bit and uh it's and uh the fishtail bit is a kind of an early pdc but uh what is a fishtail bit it's pretty much looks like that guy, but with two blades. Okay. Yeah, and they just drop it, and pretty much the same action as a roller cone with the crushing. What changed so. it? Why did PDCs become practical? Uh, some there had to been some innovation. Was it the buttons or the the cutters, or like uh, the tungsten? Aren't the tungsten carbide? Yeah. yeah, it's just the efficiency. Oh. So instead of crushing the rock, you're able to shear it. Right, then, but why did it take so long for that to be adopted? Exactly. That's, I, don't, I don't know. That's, I can actually recall when it was happened. It, was I, it cost? Potentially, uh, I'm not. No way. There's less moving parts. Just it's the glue. What about the glue? Do you think it could have been the glue to hold the the cutters in? Uh, so I'm not sure about or adhesive. I don't want to say glue. I don't know what it for is. the uh, roller cones. No, no. Well, there's no glue on this mm-hmm. on a roller cone. There is on them. your PDC. Though. Yeah, PDC. That's a. That's a. So in metallurgy, that's a metal metallurgy process um it's called brazing so you have uh they pretty much heat up this substance to a really high temperature and it becomes a liquid and at that point it's what's pretty much providing a weld from one material to another which being your cutter and your your pocket on your pc mm-hmm. it's almost like soldering right yeah yeah well, when you say brazing doesn't that imply that it's copper I'm not entirely positive on that okay actually. but that that is not some the solution or the adhesive or the weld mm-hmm. material, the, the media mm-hmm. is not a copper base. Uh, or is I, it, I I'd be lying to you if I, I took a stab at it, honestly. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, we don't even have to go there, but tell me why geothermal, where, where can you do geothermal and why is it so inefficient and cost or well, what, why is geothermal not a bigger deal? Yeah, so it, well, you have to drill to very deep depths to get the heat source mm-hmm. that you need. So what they're doing is they're pretty much making a YouTube. Of, very deep could be relative. Right. Uh, so Haynesville, there that's pretty hot, hot rock, yeah, and that's yeah. twelve thousand TVD, ten thousand TVD. Yeah, coding? twelve thousand. Yeah, it's roughly three fifty bottom hole. Mm-hmm. I know right now that you're seeing a lot of your geothermal projects happen in Utah. Right, and California too, southern uh, I believe. But yeah. So do you know what kind of temperatures that? they're targeting for yeah. downhole? No, I don't. I know that the primary uh, driver in that thing is injecting, or there's multiple different ways, but the one that uh, we were introduced to is just injecting uh, water from the surface, getting it hot, bringing it back to the surface, and taking that temperature difference. Was that two separate holes? 
or casing you the tubing? You could. It, they did it both ways. Did they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you would lose heat on the way up, mm-hmm. but you would gain heat on the way down. Yeah, they tried a huge U-tube from two different well locations. And then, then also you could do um, a lateral type design with casing and stuff like that. So I've actually heard is someone here, I believe, is doing toe-to-toe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trace management, uh, by the way, everybody. <laughs> We're going to plug them right now. Thank you for the studio space, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not me. Yeah. Don't worry no, about that. <laughs> and Mido, you know, Mido, of course. I just ran it You got me here. in here. You got me into this mess in the first place. So, Seth. All right. So, what is it? Is it? It's just the cost. You just can't. Does the reservoir cool after a while, or why would it not be? Or is it too isolated from civilization to move to turn that generator? What What is it? The transmission of power. Why Why is geothermal not a bigger deal? Yeah. I, so, from my understanding, it was one the initial cost of drilling the well, mm-hmm. and, and then your payback period on that uh, in terms of the energy you're going to get out of it. So you wouldn't have yeah. to actually perf or anything. You're just drilling a hole. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Using that median for the heat source, mm-hmm. pretty much. But uh, I, I mean, really past that, I I was really working on um, just a drilling model. Uh, the overall scope of the project was kind of lost in, in the translation to me. Uh, all I knew I was I'm working on a PDC ROP model, and uh, you know it was just an interesting idea after the fact, learning about how new uh, the geothermal space and how big it's kind of becoming from what I've seen online and stuff like that. So um, it, it, it was interesting, but yeah, the the actual. Uh, reasoning behind the project was, was a little bit lost to me. <laughs> so you don't you don't know what the temperatures were required, like Cody no, does. No, yeah, I don't. Would you, it would have to be three hundred degrees plus, right, or something? Yeah, because the energy loss on the way out. Yeah, I I couldn't even venture a guess. I would say probably three fifty to five hundred be they be targeting. Mm-hmm. And the hotter you get, you're not hearing me. Uh, the hotter you get, <laughs> the um, more your tools are going to fail, the higher your costs are going to be. So, oh yeah, I ran MWD. Uh, right, my, actually, I, I in the Haynesville. I, yeah, I was the the operations manager for Nomac Directional, and the Haynesville is very difficult drilling uh, for multiple facets. But the heat is the biggest one, just because the rubber just melts. Well, yeah, or solder joints. Oh, solder. No, yeah, because you're MWD. sending an MWD tool down hole. Uh, it's a lot of electronics, uh, so you got battery temperatures there, and you have the normal problems with drilling a hole, the vibration and the the torque uh, changes. But on top of that, then you have heat, an immense amount of heat. Yeah, melt everything. Mm-hmm. See what happens. It does. I've seen a lot of melted tools. It is incredible. The friction, right? Yeah. So you already have that heat in a normal hole, some of it, but you're really compounding it now that you, the hole is actually hot, not just what you're doing. Not the work you're doing. Start getting battery failures, too. Haynesville, the pay is just incredible on those wells. can be. Yeah, definitely. The gas I mean, I hope our whole industry is just working to design better, faster, stronger tools for, you know, drilling down there because, (laughs) oh, my gosh. You know, the first thought that came to my mind, it it has been at least five, probably six years since I've uh, been in charge of a directional company. And first thought in my mind, oh, technology's got it. Because we invest so much in technology and oil and gas. I'd assume Still not there enough. is more of a solution. Am I wrong? Uh, I've seen it get better over the years. Um, and maybe it was just switching plays and stuff. But, I mean, you go, the motors seem to keep getting stronger and stronger, yeah. taking more differential, uh, producing more horsepower downhole. And um, that just leads to other things breaking. Get giant motors that can produce thousands of foot-pounds downhole. And then all of a sudden your connections aren't strong enough mm-hmm. to to handle a stall downhole and you end up twisting connections off or backing them off or something like that. How much time did they spend in school with you guys on the, the actual tools that you're going to be using in the future out on, you know, your, um, 
you know, oil and gas careers, you know, the motors and, and everything that goes with MWD and all that? Uh, so my only class that did anything with tools was my drilling class, my junior year. Um, not enough time. No, it was one semester. Um, then we have a completions class after that and it's focused on high level, what fracking is, acid fracking, all that stuff. So school, at least Colorado school of mines does a very good job of touching every subject. Um, they do a better job of helping out with like reservoir engineering. They have a couple classes on that. They have petroleum economics. They have, um, classes on, um, artificial lift and things like that but it's hard to teach the drilling and the completions um because you really need hands-on see it in the field so did they did they use software uh good software base like the torque and drag modeling oh, and yep. stuff like that for we why didn't. you run stabilizers yeah uh well not for specifically for that uh, so we use like gopher 3d um mm -hmm. it's a, a frac modeling program uh and then we use a little bit of pace on and um uh, I think that was it in terms of software that we use. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we didn't do anything with torque and drag modeling in school. We did do um, well control. We had a really nice simulator yeah, at school, God. and um, they kind of run you through well control just like you would at Wild Well or something sure. like that. Seth, did you get that opportunity being a miner? No, no. Uh, really, the drilling and completions class uh, was it seemed so. It starts off pretty much going through history like i think we talked about kelly riggs for <laughs> a third of the entire class and then we you throw guys ever been on a kelly rig either of you <laughs> what's that have you guys been on a kelly rig no i haven't no i have really oh man i i, I directional drilled on a kelly rig so you, you we're very much spoiled with top drives yeah if you uh, want to explain for the viewers yeah. what a kelly yeah, what's rig a kelly rig everybody uh so i uh the, instead of using a, a large mass that can control the RPMs and stuff that hangs in the derrick, a Kelly a big, rig... A big motor that hangs in the derrick. Yeah, yeah, it is. And uh, a Kelly rig actually uses... What, what would you call that? A seated blocks that yeah. turn? Mm -hmm. They call it the Kelly bushing. Yeah, yeah, the bushings will turn, but you don't. You can't back out. You can't reverse on a Kelly rig uh, like you can with a top drive. So why this is very important... And Kelly rigs are obsolete for a couple of reasons, but the big thing is when you're sliding, and that's when it's most relative why we need to make the swap and trips too. But when you're sliding, I'll, I'll talk about trips too, but the, the sliding is a big deal because when you get going and you're laid out in a horizontal and you're trying to go, you know, uh, 10 degrees right or something like that. So just trying to bring it up and get a little ride in it. You will orient your tool face, and with PDC technology, you'll then uh, start stacking weight on it. Mm. But with that, you get reactive torque, and it starts walking the tool face back. Mm. So you're trying to hold around 10 right, or it's really quadrant-based, uh, somewhere between 0 and 45 degrees or something like that. It'll start walking. Oh, you aren't you the guy that said everyone put that on silent? <laughs> I don't feel like such a guy. There. Anyway, so uh, with the when that reactive torque hits, you have to put more ride in it to offset it because that drill pipe. This is so crazy to think about, but this very heavy. What is it, drill pipe a foot? Uh, Nineteen and a half pounds. Yeah, like uh, it depends. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I was thinking of like more. smaller, but yeah. So either way, you got all this reactive torque, so you put more ride into it. And when I say right, you tell the top drive to turn a little bit to the right, just spin like you were tightening a connection. Uh, but after a while, you could lose your torque. There could be a stringer or something like that, and or you could hit some type of ledge when you're if you mill the window or something like that, and your pipe gets stuck on a connection. There's a myriad of reasons, but you lose that speed. And when you lose that speed and that deep cut with your cutters of a PDC, it'll start walking back the other direction. Yep. So to give you an idea, in a horizontal or a vertical or 
I'm sorry, during a curve, when I get about 60 degrees, this is Mississippi uh, up north, which we don't drill anymore, but when I did most of mine uh, in Oklahoma, uh, you would be flying through it, but after a while you would slow as you went through different rock, and then the bit would start walking back to the right. When it walks back to the right, you've got to start taking all that, the wraps out of your top drive. Going backwards. Yes. But the problem is with the tri uh, a Kelly rig, it's very dangerous because they actually lock the blocks in place. So you have to pop the blocks. And then it spins out. It will. So you have to put tongs <laughs> on it. It's a three-man operation. There's Yay. a ton to it. It's very, very difficult to do. So in a curve, it's somewhat manageable. But whereas on a top drive, uh, the directional hand can pretty much do everything himself. So you might see a couple of joints of pipe just shoot out of the <laughs> Not quite that. But what you'll see <laughs> with a, a Kelly rig is when you pop that out, uh, the lock, and you'll have your drill over there kind of putting a little forward on it. When he pops it out, that thing's going to whip around, and you're going to lose all your wraps. And when you lose all your wraps, now you don't know where that tool face is going to be. you got to count them. There's a lot more steps. And then when you get really far laid out on a lateral, it's a whole different issue of just being able to get the torque down there. With a top drive, you can oscillate it. So you can make left and right, and you're pretty much just reducing your friction factor by keeping the pipe moving back and forth because your ROP is not fast enough to transfer all that torque down there when you're laid out a mile. Seth, how do I do? Yeah, that sounded right to me. <laughs> <laughs> so that, those are really, uh, the innovation of the top drive came as a necessity with directional drilling. Mm -hmm. it, it just expedites it. And then you also have the ability to trip faster because you got this big old Kelly 45-foot joint that you got to put away, and it, it's just better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, what I miss, Cody, anything? Speaking of no, innovation, yeah, what's what's coming up? Anything you've seen that you're just excited about? I mean, you keep abreast of everything that's you know in oil and gas news as far as what you're going to be able to do in the future of your career. Yeah, I can't really think of anything right now. No, nothing at all is exciting you. Not, Seth, what are you guys working the on in the background? The bitch. Yeah, Tell me sharks with lasers on their head that we put down a hole. Oh, man. Yeah, if I told you. Shark I'd laser bit you. is your thing. That's <laughs> yep. the way you can coin it here. Everybody. That's his bit. That's through R&D already. So. No. Call it a mud shark, though. It's got to be a mud shark. <laughs> what, mud about shark. A, what about a rock shark? <laughs> <laughs> I want it to be rock shark. That All right. Well, if, if that actually ends up making it at R&D, then we'll name it a rock shark. No, you want a mud shark. Look it up. Fine. <laughs> Hashtag my shark. Jim it could be a, a rock shard. No. 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 Right. Now, that is uh, interesting, though, to think about, like, um, just through the little experience I've had so far in the industry, you know, uh, first here in the Midcon and then second up in Ohio when I was a completions intern with the Sand Resources, I, I really didn't understand the variety of application and to the operations in those applications. So can you briefly speak or long? Uh, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> long. Why long. you have more or less blades on a PDC? So really it could be a, a, a variety of reasons, but uh, a lot of it is, you know, uh, weight transfer. So you're taking, uh, you're adding one additional blade that's sharing your weight, your, your load distribution, uh, for each one of those cutters. So a more durable design is going to be, you know, seven blade or eight blade and a more aggressive five that's, or yeah. six blade, but you're gonna have a lot you get, more, you get more cut out yeah. of less blades. That's right. Well, yeah, but your torque, right? You have the potential yeah, for a lot more torque slip with less blades cause they can dig in, huh? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. Um, that's something that, uh, and even cutters is plays into that. A yeah. Little the bit. rake so, of them, yeah. like there's a mm -hmm. crazy amount of technology in a PDC bit and things to yeah. think about. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, something that was totally new to me when I was up in uh, Ohio, just understanding uh, air drilling and uh, hammer air drilling bits. bits. And, and it's, bits, yeah. it's just it's just so, so crazy how it much is. technology there is and, you know, the, the tip of that drill string, uh, what, what's on that thing. So Yeah, so for people who aren't watching, they're not drilling with mud up there. They're drilling with air. Right, yeah. Uh, for the most for the most part, until kickoff point. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's kind of a, a mist, but um, it, it definitely is. It's an interesting thought how does it work so um typically you're going to be doing it with a roller cone or a hammer bit uh the pdc there's there's a lot of important things with having a fluid over a pdc in terms Mm -hmm. of cutting uh, fluid and thermal and stuff Mm -hmm. like that so yeah typically you're just going to see uh, that with roller cone now there are some operators that are up there that are drilling with pdc uh on air um but Mostly, it's um, it's going to be your roller cone, but the you know the idea of it is that um, you know you're going to have a much higher cleaning efficiency uh, right there at, with which with, uh, with air yeah. on air really yeah and there's not as much of a hydrostatic pressure on that formation too right so um, it's a, it's a really efficient way of drilling and um, you know I, I being a completions intern up there I didn't really get to ask a whole lot of drilling related questions but I I do cover that area right now with Veril so I hadn't really thought about the the fact that you have a lot less hydrostatic head so mm-hmm. for applications where you want to not track your target formation or yeah. something like that by uh, being overbalanced mm-hmm. yeah that'd be great but the 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 major flaw or the downside I shouldn't say flaws right if it's if it's too wet of a reservoir you mm-hmm. cannot use it is it that's pretty much it right uh, yeah, I, like I said, they, they stop drilling on air whenever they get to, you know, right for the curve. Mm-hmm. So, uh, now is there, are there formations in between there that, um, you know, you start seeing a lot of water influx. I'm, I'm not entirely, uh, privy to that, but, um, yeah, I could imagine that would probably be a problem. <laughs> Has anybody ever tried drilling with air here? Uh, yeah. In Southeast Oklahoma, uh, there's probably been some in other, other areas, just but it's just too wet. Yeah. We, we actually, we drilled some wells in southeast Oklahoma, but we were right. Uh, it's like Lattimore County is the cusp of once you cross over that on the east side of it, you can start doing uh, air drilling. And it's a lot faster. Yeah, way faster. Yeah, it's a lot faster. faster. Cheaper. Yeah. I mean, you're saving a lot Is of money it cheaper? Because you got the compressors and everything out there. Uh, you're using saving, a lot of energy. Saving money on mud? But yeah, you don't have mud. So That mud in that ser- section of hole, though, is super cheap. It's yeah. just dirty water. Right. Yeah. So. Um, I don't know. You make a good point with the compressors. You got to rent those things and those mm-hmm. are expensive and, and pay for the petrol. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The cool thing about air though, uh, you mentioned drilling faster. So the typical rule of thumb, heavier your mud is the slower you're going to drill right. because the formation pressure of the rock actually wants to blow the rock apart. So if you get it super underbalanced, like an air drilling, the rock actually almost breaks itself apart. That's where like hammer bits come in play. You just like, uh, crack that rock and it like blows itself apart and you just keep doing that and keep working your way down so that's why it's so fast is that there's such a huge pressure differential from the pore space inside the rock to the borehole so you're saying the natural pressure of the rock is helping you in this whereas when you have mud you're so your hydrostatic head is so heavy that you're not getting that so and it makes the tricone inefficient for that reason but with without the mud there the rock just it's it's easier to break. I yeah, guess. it wants to fall apart because there's nothing opposing it. So right, yeah, the unequal stress on it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So that's why underbalanced drilling is faster, um, mm-hmm. and then it, air is just super underbalanced drilling. Right. How often did you, you know, when you're out drilling your wells, did you go, man, if I only had this bit, and you could go to a guy like him and say, I think 
this is what I need? Or does it go back the other way more often? You're, you're seeing something in your own bits. You're like, you know, if I improved on this, I want you to try this. How, how much back and forth is there on, are you asking for the bits to change or are you thinking that the bits need to change? So for me, it, it depended on the area. Um, when I first got up to the Rockies, um, we needed help with curved bits. So another general rule of thumb, more blades equals better tool face control. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's not always the case depending on the back rake of the cutters and everything. Um, and sometimes you can have a five or six blade that's better than a seven or eight blade. So, Mm. um, it would, it would just depend if we were DBR and bits a lot, uh, damaging beyond repair. If we were DBRing bits, then we would say, Hey, why do we keep damaging these bits? We need a better bit for the curve, or we need a bit that can do curve and lateral at the same time. Like maybe we need to get more blades on here or decrease the back rake. So it'll be more durable over time and sacrifice a little ROP on the front end to have a one run curve lateral. So, uh, conversations like that were happening all the time. Um, and, like in the Eagleford, we tried doing our intermediate, our curve and our lateral all in one run. So then you're like, we need to sacrifice a little bit on the front end to have a really durable bit that can go all the way through the intermediate hole and still have good hard or sorry, good sharp edges on the cutters to be able to make that curve and drill the lateral. So Cody, why did people instead of doing eight and three quarters, try to do seven and seven eights and we'll, uh, to a, b- a little bit of a backstory on this because you're using the same size tools behind the bit. Right. So, by making the the uh, the idea of the hole smaller, I would think you're going to have a harder time flowing by it, all your cuttings, and you're just going to have more drag. Yeah. In, in general, so why did why do people do seven and seven eighths instead of eight and three quarters um, for these hole sections? If they're not changing casing <clears throat> sizes, um, that'll make the evaluation similar or simpler. Um, but just from a purely a hole size standpoint. If you're removing less rock, you have less to dispose of on surface. You're uh, typically going to be pumping less volume because mm-hmm. you can get uh, the same annular velocities as you can uh, at a much lower flow rate. So you're not going to need to run your generators as hard. You're not going to need to pump through your tools and essentially maybe wash them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's for hole stability if they figure out that they can get uh, more stable hole conditions on, on the seven and seven eighths versus eight and a half. So mm-hmm. and sometimes drilling efficiency too, from my understanding is, is smaller the bit, you know, yeah. the more efficient you can drill. So I don't know if that's uh, something that most people target by drilling seven, seven eights. I know there's a handful of operators here in the mid con that drill seven, seven eights. So I didn't know they were doing it in the mid con. My experience mm-hmm. was with Chesapeake and South Texas that they started drilling a lot of seven, seven eights hole. Yeah. How yeah. Many, how many bits do you guys think you have out right now running? Running? Well, I would probably, <laughs> I'd say probably right now running between. How many rigs are out right now? In you Oklahoma know, or in total 39, including the panhandle of Texas and Kansas, I believe. Total US. You consider that Oklahoma panhandle? Yes. Well, they wrap that into the big cone. I want to <laughs> make sure you tell everyone in Texas that. You heard it here. If you are in Texas panhandle, we sort of consider you as our cousins. <laughs> Maybe. That's an Everest. That's not Cecily for us. <laughs> <laughs> but do you, I mean, how, do you have like, do you think you have 50 bits in the ground right now? Mm-hmm. Right now, potentially. I mean, potentially, yeah, 50. I know yeah. some of your field sales guys, I've seen them out at the rigs and they're always out there. They're, yeah. They're kicking butt. Good job. Oh, yeah. 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 We have, we have a really good team. So uh, I, I specifically cover just the Midcon and the Northeast. So, um, you know, having my uh, hands around the, uh, understanding of you know what's going on in West Texas, Haynesville, and stuff like that. I'm, I'm, I'm are, to tell you. are the bits um, 
a lot more basin oriented too. Absolutely. Think, yeah. You, yeah. You, you and you see a lot more of this bit over in the Permian is here mm-hmm. in Gainesville. Yeah. And you can even look at a bit and sometimes tell where it was designed for. Um, and specifically cutter technology. Um, like my mom could look at a bit and be like, Oh, that's definitely. I didn't know where you're going with that. I yeah, like, I <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we, we, we will take a saint. <laughs> Bernalyn Didi is a saint. <laughs> Didi. That's awesome. Uh, no, but um, just between the, the Midcon and the Northeast, yeah, there's there are some differences, and um, sometimes it's operator interpretation of w- what they're looking for too. Uh, you you, you want to kind of have a partnership with them, have, let them like you know this is what we recommend. But I mean, in times past, you know, they're going to have some experience that they're going to lean on as well. So uh, you try to make a recommendation, and um, you know, um, like. If you can work with a operator and, and you know uh, kind of have some kind of a partnership, you're going to help them work on you know production vertical or drill out. You know, like we we want to be a partner in your success on how y'all are going to perform in this interval. Um, if we can get data from you, whatever that might be, whatever that looks like, that's typically um, how you'll see your designs evolve in certain areas. So, are you it, guys only in the drilling space now? Or are you guys doing uh, got any tools for any other uh, like cleanouts, anything like that? So right now we have drilling solutions which is our pdc and uh, roller cone and then we have our well construction which is like cementing equipment and stuff like that and then we have our completion side so we have some drill out bits and stuff like that for um uh, you know, drilling plugs out and stuff for um, frack how is that different i mean i i like and when you talk to someone about drilling out on a frack uh you have to know what kind of the the plug is right if it's mm-hmm. a composite or whatever and you guys are the bits drastically different for drilling out plugs because you're just drilling metal at that point instead of rock right yeah so um i think for what we we have um roller cone typically is what we try to go for uh the slip extreme is our uh drill out bit so that's that's typically what we go for is the roller cone design but i'm surprised by that because you'd be worried about pushing uh breaking its hold in in Mm -hmm. the pipe and pushing it down the the wellboard right so and with the tricone people don't know it requires a lot more weight than mm-hmm. a pdc to cut yeah or to break rock or whatever yeah uh i know Vero, right, right whenever i got hired on they they hired on um uh terry morris which is our our uh, completion drill pit guy our engineer there shout and out, shout out and uh yeah he he would be the guy that i would i would try to lean to on this but um yeah he uh, and i have had some conversation on it because I do see PDCs out on drill outs and stuff like that. So, uh, but roller cone, roller cone technology has gotten so good to this point. I mean, it, it's up there with the efficiency of a PDC and you deal with a lot of other issues with PDCs, like, um, you know, taking too big of bites and having really big plug parts and stuff like that. And where, uh, our, our roller cone drill out design is, uh, is able to, you know, really almost mill out those plugs, you know, with, I don't know, um, smaller parts, you know, but you need slick pipe. You can't do that with coil tubing, then, right? To transfer that kind of weight. Yeah, but with coil know. tubing, yeah. you can. Coil so tubing. you can still transfer enough weight with. Tra- I like uh, stick pipe mostly because mm-hmm. Knight has it. Stick pipe. <laughs> there you go. The there you go. Get yourself would, a little. The only time the completion <laughs> engineers would use stick pipe. Um, only was when I was at Chesapeake. We love to use stick pipe in our industry. <laughs> was when our measured depth was like 23,000, 24,000 feet plus. Gotcha. Okay. So when you couldn't get that weight down there. Right. And you got a, a next on pipe, right? Whereas coil tubing is pretty much a uniform, uh, larger than stick pipe. I don't know. 
That went over my head. All com- uh, drilling guys <laughs> in here, by the way. Yeah. Matt may be on the completion side. I know virtually nothing about completions. I well, would love the, to learn the more. The more we go into the future, the more my stick pipe will be used. Mm-hmm. Cool tubing's probably going on the way out. I mean, really. Yeah. Night yeah. drilling services. Absolutely. That's yeah. what it's at. <laughs> no, so what are you seeing as the future of drill bits? I mean, are they... So I saw a drill bit not too long ago where they had like a little data center in it and it was mm-hmm. collecting data for you know later but i don't know how robust that bit was at the time yeah but now data's king so I, like do you guys have the bits where you can you know drop the little egg inside of it and collect data for the- so I, I know what you're talking about there are some bit manufacturers out there that are putting like data uh don't want to say nov yeah. <laughs> i'm not going to say nov <laughs> They are putting uh, data, uh, what you could call like a data puck or something inside the shank of the bit. But they're um, like, we will use a, a different company that provides subs with data uh, acquisition type devices inside of those at really high frequency. And, um, you know, what data are you getting from that? So really what you're trying to do, we have a program that we're able to take in all your um, drilling data and each you know, straight up evaluate on bottom um, performance. And we can look at uh you know uh, drilling uh torque and stuff uh below and above the motor we can look at the erratic um you know for um stick slip um, big torque bands or uh just really kind of the behavior outside of what what the bit is seeing above and below the motor so it's really um it, it really is it sheds a lot of light and i've, I've seen a couple of these data puck analysis uh, mainly in the northeast but uh yeah the data acquisition side of things you, you typically don't see a lot of operators wanting to go down that path unless they really are trying to solve a specific problem uh just because it does cost money to also rent those tools so um but you know it really does shine a lot of light on what's happening down hole whenever you are able to um, acquire that type of data and it is valuable to us because we get to look at it too right yeah so, you want to know if your bits work absolutely change yeah do you think our efficiencies on bits will i mean how much further can they go yeah so uh, i i really kind of lean back on that uh the relationship with the operator and what is their goal do they do they want to drill real fast and two run this interval or do they want to stay on bottom or they want to do this one run so you got to kind of weed out you know what are their goals and then what are we able to bring to the table at that point because we can give you a really aggressive design and we can make that happen or we can give you a durable design that's going to complete that interval so uh in terms of metallurgy will change that much oh yeah yeah i think material science is going to be huge um for pdc technology in the future i mean just the the little knowledge i've I've got to take in from our cutter providers it's like uh, a next level type material science those guys are, are digging through and the aliens um, that landed in Roswell <laughs> are finally paying off that's right mm-hmm. yeah so um i it it really is no telling i mean the type of efficiencies gained left i mean you know there were there were big efficiency advancements you know at the beginning of the pdc uh revolution in 1970 or whatever and now it's it's marginal pdc uh, came out in 1970 yeah some of the first pdcs were ran in 1970s where uh, like no way yeah because yeah. they weren't commonly used well uh, middle I mean, east maybe yeah it's some verticals i drilled mm-hmm. a couple of verticals with them but nobody trusted pdcs in like 12 for me in oklahoma yeah yeah, no, that's... Uh, and Little Oklahoma, or our cousins, because <laughs> I drilled quite a bit in the Panhandle, too. I guess uh, right. Seth calls that Oklahoma, too. <laughs> uh, no, it's... Uh, 
Yeah, I, you know, the one thing I, I, I'll, I'll lean on here is the intro to my thesis. It says 1970, so, you know, it must be true. Uh, <laughs> the hell, you wrote the I, paper. I, I didn't, I didn't, I'm not entirely positive <laughs> where not, at, but I know they American. made their debut in Shorty 1970. You know how much easier it was to write a paper, by the way, before the internet? <laughs> yeah. Well, harder. Harder. Yeah, yeah, that's part. It's both ways, right? Because yeah. it was harder because you actually had to read a book. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it was easier because you could cut and paste. Yeah. And uh, if you had to read a book, no one was going to check that. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> Tell you one thing I'm excited about for uh, drill bit technology is better dull grading. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean? What is that? So dull grading is uh, when a bit goes in the hole, it's obviously brand new. Right. Zero to eight, right? Or yeah. one to eight. Yeah. Well, no, zero to eight. <laughs> it is yeah, zero, zero eight. it's essentially still brand new. Mm-hmm. Um, but with roller cones um it's easy ish to dull grade them because a zero would be you have a full spike left right here okay and eight would be you have no spike left here a PDC, missing a cone maybe too. yeah you're missing a cone you can obviously denote that on the <laughs> dull grade but on a pdc it's trickier because they use the same thing right so if you have the full diamond compact that's a zero if you have no diamond compact that's an eight but a completely worn out diamond compact might be a two who pays for that the operator or the uh or the bit companies if like it's crap. just the diamond compacts themselves each one of the cutters um i'm assuming just the the bit company pays for that because that's not dbr those cutters can be replaced so, so. you're telling me you're, you're just excited for a new methodology yeah so yeah. i don't think i don't know if Verrill has anything like this going on but torex is using um i believe lasers to uh, accurately measure all the different um mm. angles and the wear on every single cutter so then you can be like well it's not as a one two dull grade it's this dull grade that's much more in depth cutter we need to beef this one up yeah Yeah. cutter 17 on blade four is worn down and so is cutter five on blade three and it's like why is that worn down it's like are they in the same place on that you said uh i don't know i made that up okay (laughs) so you're you're just excited about a new way to look at it but that's not even that's still back at Seth's office it's it's not out in the field it's not a different methodology methodology in the field correct it's on it's how to improve pdc or yeah pdc bits um after each run it's not gonna yeah. help you on this run it'll help you on the next one it, so instead of just blankly saying it's a it's a six because we yeah. had worn cutters but that's just worn cutters instead of saying where the worn cutters yeah. are and you could have 10 different people look at a, a worn bit and yeah. you'd probably get tef- 10 different ratings yeah yeah oh, your, your first two numbers are going to be your your two-thirds from the in- interior and then your a third from the exterior so okay. you're going to have like a one three or something mm-hmm. like that uh but it, it is very inconsistent so yeah. it, it mm-hmm. it's all about interpretation yeah, subjective and whenever right. you have a scale from one to eight uh you know uh, there's a lot of room for you know interpretation there and yeah. uh, that's why i can't watch anything <laughs> in the olympics that they don't score points <laughs> but, <laughs> because yeah. i don't want someone to tell me how that dive yeah. looked i don't the they, problem is it's gonna be a point uh zero to eight like i said zero would be a brand new cutter yeah. eight would be a no cutter like it's yeah. all gone. right so even a four out of eight, that cutter is useless. A yeah. three out of eight, two out of eight, it's still probably, it's pretty dull. Yeah. Like, oh, sorry, I'm not close enough. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. Even a three or a four out of eight is a very dull PDC cutter. So it's just not consistent with how you need to grade these bits as it is with PDCs. So getting in that new technology in there mm-hmm. to be able to grade those better to improve um, faster. So, so say that improve faster. When you come up with something like that and say, hey, so this is where our problem is. How fast can you change the design and get a new one out? 
Oh, I mean, now I mean the 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 technology is astonishing. You guys have your three D modeling, and Mm -hmm. you can design a new bit based on his observations within a couple weeks and get it back out to him now. Yeah, definitely. I'd say fascinating. Four to five weeks. Now, how do you make a bit? Uh, Is it billet? Is it a mold? So it depends. So you have your matrix body and your steel body bits. Um, so, what are the difference? So a matrix body is going to be a it's a, it's a metallurgic process where you get um, graphite and you have these huge graphite cylinders and you're drilling out a negative of what your bit is going to be. And then whatever the composition is that you're going to, the matrix that you're going to fill that up with, um, then you have the negative spaces for all the features. Um, and then you have a binder that sits at the top of that. And then you send that into an oven and that binder drops all the way through all your composite material until it's, it's fully cooked really. And, uh, that it, at the end of that is when you have your, your matrix bit. Um, now for a, a steel body bit, you have these really awesome it's like six axis lathes and these things are so dialed in you you have some you'll have to have a legit programmer <laughs> put that type of information in but uh you put a huge steel block into the one of these one of these mills and uh, it just goes to town and then it just goes based off of what your algorithm is to achieve that okay. geometry within you all you need. <laughs> so yeah and you know certain areas like one or the other you know um depending on repairability uh steel bodies can be a little more repairable but i say the matrix body is a little more durable okay. and a little more rigid and tough so um it, it's uh it is an interesting material conversation because there is a lot to that yeah even, yeah and what even about the possibility of 3d printing bits in the future That'd be cool. That would be cool. So there, there are uh, not a lay, but there, there is a machine that exists in today's technology. It's quite expensive that can three D print metal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I bet yeah. that's coming in the future. I don't know how near in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, like you said, it's going to be about the metallurgy science. Yeah, for sure. The immense amount of heat. Gosh. It would probably have to be yeah. matrix bits that would be three D printed. Yeah. So, I, I mean, metallurgist. So I don't know. I don't know. I. I. I probably i'm not sure honestly but i know the 3d printing is it'd probably be easier with a steel body because uh you know steel depending on the type of steel content you're going to have you know um getting it to what is known as the eutectic point where uh a a a bunch of particles exist in equilibrium of fluid and a solid so right at the temperature between where that steel is a fluid and a temperature is where you have to exist and then the cooling process with that um, there's a whole aspect to cooling so you could really end up with a much more brittle bit if it cools too fast Mm -hmm. if you were to 3d print one uh, you know if you you cool too slowly you could have real ductile type material but steel and the matrix stuff is it's really there's a lot of material science in that that i i think probably is overlooked in reality and so barrel is going to be the first 3d printed bit <laughs> <laughs> potentially <laughs> i mean maybe i could sit out on a rig and like yeah. the engineer can like type in you know the code and like mm-hmm. i'm going to order my bit but on location i have my yeah. bit delivered on location you're gonna have a hell of a <laughs> furnace out there <laughs> why not yeah it's a it's a, it's a little arc welder mm-hmm. a little arc yeah furnace. i don't know yeah i mean just save a hot shot fee that's <laughs> there you go <laughs> all right so this is our show, everybody. I'll I got one more show. question. I'm going to let Jeremiah, as always, wrap up this show with one more question. Yeah. Uh, probably, by the way, great question on that last one. Probably five questions, isn't it? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> no, I've got, I've got it's actually a five-part question. Right. Five-part question. So I'm no engineer over here, yes, but I was just are. writing down some simple numbers. There's four of us in here, and I guessed our ages. I, I know Cody's and Matt's 
Seth, I kind of know yours just because I've known you a couple of years too. So I know you've recently graduated. Yeah. So I believe our median median age in here, or average age actually, it's average, is thirty six. How? Uh, what is the average age of everyone you work with? Do you think or median wage? Let's let's cut out the the CEO or are someone you, else. Are you talking about the, the great green change? So there's right there's five. To, to there's five or six guys in my office, and I'd say the median age is probably. 40 to 45. 40 to 45? I'm the youngest by far. Cody, your peers, when you, I know you can't speak about your new endeavor, mm-hmm. but your Yet. prior endeavor, uh, the people you at least immediately saw every day. Yeah. What do you think the age was? Well, we were a very young group over at Chesapeake, uh, all the drilling engineers. I would say the, the median age was probably 28 to 30. 28. And so yeah. your your supervisors were probably the oldest guy for the most part. I know yeah. I knew a couple older engineers, old crotchety guy like Jerry Bowen and a couple other guys that well, even when engineers. the last couple of years he wasn't even there. Right. Mm-hmm. The My oldest, good friend Peter Burke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The oldest drilling engineer, not talking drilling manager, me, was probably James Bland and he's what, thirty six, thirty seven. He actually I bet you he's forty. Cause he, he went to school with Jason. James. Yeah. yeah. He's growing berries. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's running a here right now. Yeah, <laughs> he's doing a lot with his land management company. Oh, is he? Is he out of oil and gas? No, for now. I mean, kind of. He's he, yeah, doing I mean, his berry farm and doing land management, like kind of running skid steer, strawberries, uh, strawberries, blackberries, yeah. all kinds he, of things. It's a berry. I have an acre of blackberries at my house, by the way. I'm so if anyone wants doing to come wine? Pick them, yeah, you're what? Doing wine? Uh, blackberry wine? Mm-hmm. I haven't thought about that. He's feeding his lapacas and his ass. Yeah, they eat a lot of them. And I have a I have a miniature cow now too. Uh, Linda oh, you Bovine. Have a new, you have yeah. a new I need to come animal. see Linda. So yeah. does Amanda. Yeah. For, for those just tuning in, Jeremiah has a, a zoo at his house. Miniature zoo. I only do miniature animals. Miniature. Yeah, he's got four size. animals right now. Yeah. yeah. Do you have they're a, all minis. Do you have a stray animal out there? It has to be mini though. When you get and I still don't want. When you get past seven animals, it's no longer miniature. Yeah. Well, what if you stack them up? God bless your wife. It's Standard. So if you want to see a cool video, and I think you got some views on it too. Oh yeah, we got nine thousand views on that. Piece. Yeah, Duke, what? his little puppy came over, yeah. and uh, the donkey, the miniature donkey, old Louie, uh, and him were running up and down the fence line. Yeah. Now it looks really cute, but if uh, old Duke was in there, mm-hmm. old uh, Louie would have tried to kill yeah, it out murderously. <laughs> yes, yeah. in no way yeah, would it been positive, but it was cool there. Matt, what is your median age for your peers in, in, that you work with? At night. Mm-hmm. I don't know, probably 36. 36? Sure. All right. And Cody, you said it was in the 20s or 30s? Yeah. I mean, we had a, a lot of the engineers there were younger than me. So they were mm-hmm. in their uh, mid to late 20s. Mm-hmm. And there were only a couple people older. But if you want to bring drilling managers and drilling VPs into it, it it'll bring it up. But. I, so, and I only bring this up. Our next show, we're going to have Joe Berbetti on and someone else. But we're going to talk great. about the great crew change, which oh, wow. we've all experienced at this point. Uh, and I've never been, definitely happened. I've never been fired. I've always moved up in the world. So I, I don't want to say I've moved up, but You've I've never up. been fired. Yeah. <laughs> Technically <laughs> not fired. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm man. That's so, yeah, you don't deserve to be fired. <laughs> Thank you, man. I think that's it, unless you got something else. No. So, um, tune in next Tuesday is when we'll actually record it. I don't know when I don't Matt know. will drop we, it. We, we, you never know when we're going to drop these for your enjoyment, but hey, Cody Godsell. Oh, wait, one more thing. I wrote this down to put out there, and this is only for anyone that actually listens all the way through. If you listen all the way through, this yeah, is don't nobody it. give it away, and probably no one cares either way, but we need a producer, and it's for nothing else than Cody was trying to get the Woodford Reserve over there to pour in his cup, but he couldn't. If we had a producer, that guy could have done that. Hey, you're close enough to the uh, OSU uh, youth, if you will. Hmm. Do you think there's anybody over there that would like something on their resume and call the uh, 
talking energy show producer uh, on their resume something like amazing that'd be absolutely awesome. they also if need to be put, ready on a moment's notice yeah. Yeah. and that's like hey Usually we're doing Tuesday this tomorrow. Wednesday. <laughs> because, because jeremiah and i are both uh, uh taken it yeah. cannot be you know anybody that's uh gonna tempt us yeah <laughs> so <laughs> To, to say or do anything that will get us in trouble. Yeah, in for sure. Yeah, y'all need a producer. That'd be sweet. Yeah, it would yeah. be sweet. We're missing a producer. By the way, did you know there's another show called Talk Energy? Oh. Listen, okay. So, so are you go. ripping I, them off trying to steal their viewership, or nope. were we first? Hey, we have so, uh, I have an idea. If Max, if Max comes in here to this show and does his show with us, we will change the name of this show. To Talking. We'll drop talking. the G. <laughs> <laughs> closer. I mean, we could call this and go back to the original idea anyway, the Oilfield Tailgate, where we are fans. Man, yeah, oh, that's yeah, cool. We're fans of the Oilfield. Yeah. I like that. I, I absolutely love that, Matt. And it's great for uh, – Matt doesn't plug this enough, but he does an amazing job. How many years have you been doing that, by the way? And what it, that is is the most – Badass, it's uh, awesome party at Othello's. And, yeah, and, and yeah. OU yeah. Seth is only allowed to come one day a year. That's right. No, oh, and it's like every other year. He's all in now. In fact, I'm all in. <laughs> While I have you, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little plug, and then we're gonna get rid of the show and uh, let you guys move on today. And you can do a plug too right now. Talk talk oh. about what's your guy. Oh, hey, you gonna get some more views on Duke? No, no. Uh, well, okay, <laughs> you guys go ahead and plug your stuff. Yeah, so I wanted to go ahead and give a shout out to the Colorado School of Mines golf tournament. Uh, usually we do it in the spring, uh, but because of lasting COVID, we didn't do it last year. We didn't do it this spring, but we're going to be doing it uh, Friday, September 24th. At Rose Creek. Yep, yeah. it'll be at Rose Creek. Starts at 1 p.m. Uh, we don't have very many people signed up. Um, we're, what, a little over a month out. Okay, so if you want to get signed up, um, we'll put the link on. I'll get with Matt, and we'll put the link yeah, on. Yeah, put it. On the page. We can put it in the the or we'll we'll just put it as a, a message it, on yeah, right now. It's the uh, the uh, Oilfield Golf Tournament. Yeah, it'll be one forty per player or one ten for young alumni, those graduating after twenty sixteen. So uh, we need teams, we need sponsors, we need catering sponsors, uh, prizes, all kinds of stuff. So hey, congratulations for getting hired to your new job. Hey, yeah, yeah. and uh, future <laughs> marriage. By the way, I get Cody's to enjoy getting married. Yeah, I got bachelor party this um, weekend. So. Amanda, <laughs> watch out. I mean, you you got a keeper, and you are a lucky oh, yeah. woman. I mean, really, you should just like always be thanking Cody for. You know, yeah, been, you should marry him. So a couple people have asked me what I'm doing this weekend, and I was like, I think I'm going on my last bachelor party ever because it's last sooner, one, huh? Well, only just because you get to an age, and eventually it becomes divorce parties. Or uh, hey, let's man. just go get beer. People <laughs> party over that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's a thing. It's a, no way. You get to experience it, man. Yeah. Everyone, yeah, get you a divorce under your belt. Yeah. 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 Knock on wood, you get to I hope you never experience it. Yeah. hope all your friends live. I think it's more after. women do more divorce parties, but guys are like, yeah, you know, I'm going through a hard time. Let's go get drunk. You know, do you and have then a, like, hey, I'm getting hitched, but we're going to do it in my backyard this time. I do. I got married in April. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know this. Congratulations, buddy. thank you. You're so young. You didn't even play the field. She just locked you down. She's like, "Oh, he graduated. He's got a job. I'm locking him down." That's right. Well, at first there was a, there was a little bit of an eighth month patch where she didn't know if I would get employed, so I was a sugar baby for eight months. It was <laughs> nice. incredible. So, they call it a kept yeah. man. Kept man. Is that what it's no, called? It's a think, kept man. It's called oh. man of leisure. Mm, there. Oh, I like oh, that man. one too. Either one is nice, but it, it adds a little bit of class to it instead of saying, "Yeah, I'm unemployed." What about? A, uh, well, that's why I always said sugar baby. Mm, there you go. So. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, pitch my Oilfield Tailgate sponsorship for barrel right now okay yeah so every home game in norman mm -hmm. we have the largest oil field party in oklahoma every home it, we we put it in norman just because more bang for the buck right definitely so if you pitch in as a sponsorship 
It's $2,500. That's six parties where you get to invite all of your current and potential customers and friends, family, and say, hey, if you're part of the Woolfield or you support us, come down, free food, live music, open bar mm-hmm. at Othello's and Norman. Bring your signs, bring your swag, anything that promotes your company. Uh, put your logos you know, all over all of our social media platforms, which includes the website, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, I mean, all of them. Yeah. So yeah. Cody, for I was trying go. to I was trying to get uh, a sponsorship for Trace, right? And I volunteered yeah. our car. I was like, no, I, and I told Matt, I was like, Matt. Yeah, we put his logo on. Oh, I know, but I wanted Matt to have a picture with thumbs up, you know, just his head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wanted. Right. <laughs> I do love. <laughs> but he he wouldn't do that. We did get a logo. Guys, I had to get skinny first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were there. Can we not yeah, have you your face on there? My, my photograph would cover your whole car back then. Now it's just like a door. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank yep. you. Tune in uh, every time to Talking Energy yeah. Show, or if we're gonna, if Max, if you come in here, we're changing this to Woolfield Tailgate and giving up Talking. Energy Do you think show. Max listens? I absolutely. Why would he not love our show? God, like that's I a good his. point. We I are follow syndicated. him all the time and love his shows. So, uh, but I, I was made aware by a mutual friend of ours that he might be annoyed that we start and mm. and by all means, this came about organically. Jeremiah, we're in here in the studio, just talking energy, just talking, talking about energy. Talking energy. oil and gas. <laughs> And he's like, what are we going to call this podcast of ours? I was like, I don't know, like energy or petroleum. Mm-hmm. Like we went on and on and on. Finally, we, we just wrote down, how about talking energy show? We'll just go from there. I bought the website. I went out. And, don't don't uh, let Matt get excited about that. How many websites do you own, Matt? About 15 websites. Wow. <laughs> they all, hey, by the way, they all point back to oilfieldtailgate.com. Every single one of them just oilfieldtailgate.com. You got here by accident. I think you meant to go here. Yeah. <laughs> so like that, but they all redirect to one location. You should location. go to talk, uh, talk Energy Show, but now they like, don't come back. Joe Biden for president.com. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Yeah, so anyway, so at the end of the day, all this is supposed to point back to Oilfield Tailgate and help the sponsors mm-hmm. out, like Barrel's going to be with uh, Seth's check right after this show. That's right. All right, cool. Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You when, can do it in payments, right? Check it, right? Do it in payments, absolutely. Heck, yep. this is a good year. It should be an easy one. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Hit up all of us on social media. Please connect with us on LinkedIn. Uh, We'd love to uh, chat with you about what we're doing and, and uh, support Jeremiah in his new endeavor. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremiah needs a job. I'm just helping Chuck Yates. Thank you, Chuck Yates. <laughs> Thank you, Chuck Yates. And everybody that's coming in our predecessors. Anyway, God, good, God bless. Take Bye, care. Adios. Bye.